on today's episode, part one of Running Lean with Patrick McGilvray. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. This has been a crazy popular topic whenever I have this on the podcast, but I am delighted to have Patrick McGilvray join me. He is the host of Running Lean podcast. He also has Running Lean coaching, all things to do with um, just diet and performance as an athlete. He is a sports nutritionist. He's a personal trainer. He's a weight loss coach for runners. And like I said before, is a podcast host. And he was a delight to have on. I We rambled on quite a lot. You might have realized based on the title of this episode that we had to break it into two parts. One, because of all the stuff that we had to discuss, all the misconceptions and questions that we had to break down. But two, based on your patron questions for all the patrons that submitted their questions, because such a popular topic, I had so many questions flood in that the interview went for probably over an hour and 15 minutes. And so I usually solve this problem by bringing it to two parts of around 40 minutes or so. And that way it's easier for you guys to absorb the knowledge and it's not too, yeah, it's not, it's not taking up too much of your time just listening to one episode. And so broke it down to two parts. Today, we're going to talk about like why diets don't work for runners, why weight loss doesn't work for runners is like right up Patrick's alley. And we talk all of the things around like common mistakes that runners have. We talk about emotional eating, hunger problems, overeating, all these sort of things. And so we'll delve into that. And uh, next episode, we'll delve into part two. So like I said, it was an absolute delight. Um, you may have seen on Facebook or Instagram um, last week, I released a video just showing you guys the new section of the house that's going to be converted into a physio clinic. And so showed you the treatment room slash podcast studio, which I'm not down there yet. There is Wi-Fi now working down there, so it has reached there, but still way too much echo. And so I'm having to put things in, waiting for my treatment bed to arrive, waiting for these um, acoustic foam panels to arrive and just putting artwork and just things on walls and furniture around just so the echo isn't too much. But I'll get down there eventually. But the responses from you guys, to, um, the comments from you guys on those videos of me introducing um, was gold. Thanks for your support. Like I said, I'm very excited. I've said that a lot of times on the, on this podcast and um, on social media. But I'll keep you up to date uh, on the developments as it happens. And yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see how that that journey goes over the next couple of weeks and couple of months. 
All right, um, enough about me. Let's dive into our interview with Patrick. Patrick McGilvray, welcome to the Run Smarter podcast. Thanks, Brody. Thanks for having me here. You're very welcome. I'm very excited to dive into the content today. But before we we dive into the real meat of it, can you maybe just introduce yourself and your background and how you found yourself into this particular um, skill set? Yeah. So for me, I've been a runner for a long time. I've been I've been running since I ran my first marathon when I was 40. I'm 54 now. So I've been a runner for uh, that amount of time, basically. <laughs> I did a few like 5Ks and 10Ks prior to that. But really, I found this passion for running when, when, I, when I did that first marathon and I crossed the finish line and I was like, that was the hardest and most awesome thing I've ever done. Nice. And, and I was like, oh, I, I need to do that again, you know? And so I just sort of fell in love with running. And prior to that, I led a different kind of lifestyle. You know, I was, I was overweight. I was, um, uh, sick. You know, I was, uh, I was a smoker, um, and a, a drinker, a heavy drinker. And, you know, just had like this terrible lifestyle and, um, you know, running a marathon was like something I never thought I could do. I just never thought like that was in the cards for somebody like me. I used to see these people running on Saturday mornings, you know, and I'd be like, damn, I wish I could do that. But I know that's never going to happen because I'm just like too hungover or <laughs> whatever, you know. So anyway, I got to this point where I just like turned my life around. I, I changed my diet. I, I lost a bunch of weight. I started running and things were going pretty well for me. So um, I ended up, um, I'm sort of an entrepreneur, um, at heart. And I was working this corporate job for many years and I left the corporate world and started my own business. I was doing, um, kind of some design work and some branding work and, and working with entrepreneurs. And I started coaching entrepreneurs and that was my first taste of like coaching. I was like, Whoa, I can really help people. You know, I think I have this sort of, um, natural sort of ability to be able to help people. And I was working with entrepreneurs and I thought, you know, um, is a good business and stuff like that, but I wasn't really passionate about it. You know, it wasn't something that I loved to do. And, and I was out on the trails one day and I was running through the woods. I was by myself and this thought just came to my mind. It was like, wouldn't it be fun to like make this your job? Like, <laughs> how can I like make running what I do for a living? How can I combine, you know, this love that I have of running with something else? And I ended up sort of kind of focusing in on helping runners with their mindset and with their nutrition. And it just sort of kind of came to me. You know, it wasn't something I, I originally set out to do. I thought I was going to be some branding guru or something like that, you know, and it just didn't work out that way. So when I decided to, to um, you know, that I wanted to focus on runners and really help them, I kind of went all in, like I... I uh, became a personal trainer and I became uh, a sports nutritionist. And, um, you know, I just focused all my, my attention on learning everything I could about diet nutrition for uh, runners, especially. Because here's the thing, people think, oh, you're, you're a runner, oh, you're in good shape. Oh, you, or you're in good shape, you must be a runner. You know, and, and there's this sort of misconception out there where all runners are 
svelte. You know, all runners are like super lean, like you see these guys that run the marathon in the Olympics, you know, and you're like, oh, all runners are like that. And it's not the, it's not the case, you know. Um, and a lot of my friends and a lot of people that are, you know, getting older kind of are coming to me and saying like, uh, I'm getting older, I'm gaining weight, I'm running, I'm running a lot, and I think I eat a pretty good diet, but I keep gaining weight. In fact, I'm training for a marathon and I'm gaining weight. Like, what the heck's going on here? This is a very common thing. And I was like, listen, I'm, I want to help you. I want to help this person, this person who's like, you know, maybe an average runner, but, but loves running, but it's not working anymore. It may have worked earlier in their life, but as they get older, it's, 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 it's no longer like the weight loss or, or weight management tool that it used to be. So there's a lot more going on. And, and there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of different aspects to this, which we're going to get into that, you know. But just, just from my own perspective, it's like I, I just kind of fell in love with this idea of helping runners who are struggling with this problem right? Because it, it is an issue that, that a lot of runners do struggle with. Yeah, totally agree. And I like how you've had that epiphany to kind of blend your two, uh, I guess, your career and your passion together. And I follow a very similar line because me being a physiotherapist, I have now dedicated myself to just treating runners because they're the population that give me the most passion, the most energy. And I realized once I became a runner myself and started seeing runners in a clinic back when I was like a generic physio, I would just like the the runner would like walk out of the room and I'd just be buzzing like because I've been chatting about their running goals and their running shoes and their cadence and like everything. And so I quickly had that epiphany as well and recognized I wanted to spend more time around people that are giving me energy rather than depleting my energy. And if you kind of follow that path, it leads you up for success. Like you don't get drained. People say like, you know, how do you work this hard, produce all this content? It's really easy when it gives you energy rather than depletes your energy. And so I'm, I'm glad we've kind of had that, that same kind of epiphany. But I want to ask when you were, you had that lifestyle around, you know, overweight, smoking, drinking, um, was there like a, a certain turning point? Was there like a one, um, one aspect of your life or one thing that highlighted the the motivation to start turning your life around? Yeah. So I was diagnosed with cancer back in 2003 uh, with testicular cancer and it had spread to some lymph nodes. And this is a big wake up call for me. It was like, I had two little kids at the time and it, it, it really freaked me out. Brody It was one of those times in my life where I've never been so like full of like, fear and like regret and because I thought I was going to die, you know, I mean, so I didn't know what I know now, like, um, testicular cancer is one of the most treatable types of cancer. And, you know, as long as it hasn't spread too bad, like there's, there's a cure for it basically. Right. So, um, but at the time I just thought like I have cancer, I'm going to die. You know? Yeah. And so that was a huge wake up of call for me. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get healthy. Okay. Um, so, and, and I did lose some weight and, and running was, was great. And I changed my diet and, and running helped a lot. And, and, and I felt great. And this went on for some years, but then as I started getting older, I, I was eating, you know, um, uh, 
I had switched to kind of a plant-based diet, you know, probably like 98% plant-based diet. And, and I just kept kind of gaining weight. And, and I was like, what's going on here? And so I had sort of a, a second epiphany, if you will, uh, a couple of years ago when I realized that I was, you know, pushing 200 pounds again. You know, I was like, a, I was like 199 pounds or something. And I was like, good Lord, there's no way I'm getting back over 200 pounds. Because at one point I was like 230 or something like that. And, and I thought, I've got to do something about this. I need to finally figure this out. And that's kind of the same time that I started coaching other runners because I realized that I needed to, you know, change my diet. And, and the diet that I was eating at the time, it may have been plant-based, but it was like super high in sugar, super high in refined carbohydrates, you know. And, and I, was like, I was like, I'm a runner, I can eat whatever I want, <laughs> you know, uh, and and that just that that um, that approach just stopped working for me. And when I was pushing 200 pounds again, I was like, nope, I am not going there. And so I, I cut out the carbs, and I actually I made a decision. I made a decision that I was going to start eating meat again, and and going back to more of a more of a a, a natural type of of uh, eating plan or diet, whatever you want to call it, you know, kind of a, a the way our ancestors used to eat, if you want to call it more of like a paleo type of approach or whatever. Um, and, and, and I started to feel better. I started to uh, lose the weight. Uh, you know, I got off of the refined grains. I got off the sugar. I got off of the processed foods. And things started to really shift for me. And, and it was like the same time that I started working with runners and I was like, hey, and I, and I had a few coaching clients at the time and I was like, hey, if you want me to help, with the, help you with this issue because they would come to me and say, whatever you're doing is working. Like, I want, I want that. Um, and that's when I started to say, this might be something that people really need. And um, when I made that decision, it was like, do I really want to... Um, like focus on like weight loss for runners. Is this really a thing? Like, <laughs> it sounds like you, they don't need this kind of help, you know. But when I when I made that decision, it was like it was just everything just kind of fell into place after that. Yeah, and and I found that there's no shortage of people that that want help. Let's dive into that a little bit more because you do have the running. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Lean podcast, which once I found it, I binged just so many episodes and that's why I kind of reached out to you because I'm like, Let, we can talk about this. We can talk about this. And like one of the episodes initially was around why running doesn't work for weight loss. And I found that really fascinating. Um, and you've kind of talked about it a little bit or you've been alluding to it a little bit, but maybe we delve in a bit deeper because people think once they want to lose weight, they should start exercising, they start running. Um, what are some mistakes or misconceptions or why isn't running the, the complete answer for weight loss? Yeah, that's such a good question. And um, 
listen, I'm, I'm going to say this. I love running, and I think everybody should just keep running. Like, it's, it doesn't mean that, like, running is bad. You know, we want to keep running. It's, it's great. It, it has a lot of benefits. It can help with weight loss. It can help with maintaining your weight, um, combined with the right diet. But, but on its own, running is not going to get you there. You know, if you have a, you've probably heard this term, like, you can't outrun a bad diet. You know, you, you just you just can't. So if the diet is really terrible and and you're eating a ton of uh, sugar, processed grains, that kind of stuff, you're going to have a really hard time uh, running enough to, to, to keep the weight off or to lose weight. So, you know, one of the things that, um, that I discovered in my research and in my uh, training and, and things was this this issue with insulin. So insulin is a, is a hormone that gets produced to lower blood sugar. And whenever we eat food that are, foods that are high in sugar, like sugar or, or uh, refined grains like flour, um, our, our blood sugar spikes. And insulin gets produced to bring that blood sugar down. Well, that, that's all great. And this is the way our bodies are designed to work. The problem is, when we, um, when insulin is present, when insulin is is elevated in our blood, there's a couple of other things that are happening. Number one, our our um, our fat is being kind of locked in fat cells. So insulin is like the gatekeeper for fat, and and if insulin is present, it's like the fat is staying in the fat cells, right? So I say like when when we're when we're eating a lot of carbs and stuff like that insulin is always going to be high and we're we're in fat storage mode and we need to get our body out of fat storage mode and we need to get our body into fat burning mode so we need to lower insulin in order to uh, actually burn the fat we're good at storing fat humans are supposed to store fat it's part of you know what we do some of the energy that we get from our food gets stored as fat and that's great it's to be used later though as fuel <laughs> Problem is, later never comes. We just keep storing and storing and storing. So insulin um, holds fat in fat cells. So uh, you can't burn the fat when insulin is high. Also, when insulin is present, your hunger hormone uh, kind of gets out of control. So you're more hungry uh, when insulin is high. Also, your satiety hormone, leptin, is suppressed. So when your insulin is high, you're... You're, you don't feel as full when you eat. You know, you've had that experience probably when you eat a big meal and you're like stuffed and somebody's like, well, here's a piece of pie. And you're like, well, heck yeah, I can eat that. You know, it's because we don't have that. Our receptors for carbohydrates are sort of turned off, okay? So, so there's all these things that are, that are kind of combining to uh, hold us in, you know, keep us in fat storage mode to, to make us incessantly hungry and not feel full when we, um, when we do eat. So this is sort of a problem, and, and, and it's all a problem with, with uh, high levels of insulin. And, and the way we combat that problem is to, we gotta lower insulin. We gotta keep our insulin levels low. And you know, a couple ways we do that, we can talk about that. We, we, we eliminate some of the problematic carbohydrates and we, we just don't eat all the time. You know, we practice some sort of, um, meal spacing. We space out our meals a little bit, intermittent fasting, whatever you want to call it. So that's sort of the, um, the, the reason why 
uh, running on its own doesn't really work for, for weight loss. And, and listen, here, here's a, a typical runner's like diet. You know, runners, <laughs> runners are like carb addicts, you know. They eat a, a ton of carbs uh, all the time. And then, um, you know, they carb load before a, a long run or a race. And then the morning of, they're like, well, I got to get some carbs in me. And then during the, the race or the run, they're, they're doing the juice and the, uh, the goose and the gels and stuff like that. And they're like eating more carbs. And then they got to fuel up after the run, like refuel with more carbs. And, and they're just like, think about this. If, if you understand the way that insulin works, this high carb approach is just going to keep you storing fat. So, so the running you know, may have a, a, a good effect if you're, if you're not eating all these carbs. It's just, it's not going to work when you're eating a super high carb diet like this. Yeah. And like I said, the, the runner craves like more food when you're running more. And I think if a listeners say had a couple of marathons or been training for a marathon and you can easily see that your weight doesn't necessarily change. I know a lot of runners have actually put on a, a bit of weight when it comes to marathon and like on marathon day, they're a little bit heavier than when they started. And if I was to look back on my fluctuations in say training load, my weight stays exactly the same. I could be, um, if we're in lockdown and I'm not exercising a whole lot compared to if I'm got a triathlon or if I've got a marathon in a couple of weeks time, my weight stays exactly the same. The, and if I was to look back on the last 10 years, the only time I fluctuate in my weight is when my diet changes or my, um, my food intake changes. And there was once one instance when, um, I just finished marathon training and, um, for the last couple of years, my I had a, a few gut issues and it was very mild in the background, but decided to see a dietitian about it. And we tried this, uh, the elimination diet to see what like kind of, if there was any FODMAPs that were disagreeing with me. And we tried this elimination diet, but I just stuck to the plan and didn't realize I was really under eating. And I lost maybe seven or eight kilos in the space of maybe four or five weeks. And that's just because I was just eating less straight away, just dropped a stack of weight and around lockdown, um, doing kind of less and eating a bit more kilos go on a little bit. So like the weight in my experience anyway, is just fluctuate purely based on diet and no relevance to training load or what I've been my output, I guess you could, guess you could say, um, so in my experience, and I guess people are listening may maybe share that same experience that so running may not necessarily be a good, um, pure form of, if you want, if the goal was to lose weight, then it's probably your best off. Like you said, to combine a healthy lifestyle exercise, running, including with that lowering insulin, better diet, those sort of things. So you're kind of tackling both sides of that equation. Um, and I guess when it comes to the diet, because you also say on the podcast that certain diets don't work either. So if we're trying to combine running healthy lifestyle with diet, um, what's your, let's start with why, why did diets not work? Yeah. So, uh, most diets, you know, they, you know, when I think of the word diet, I think of, um, you know, somebody that's like re restricting calories. So we have this, you know, calories in versus calories out sort of mentality that it's all about like, uh, 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 you know, uh, numbers of, of 
you know, calories and, and if you burn enough calories, you can lose the weight. And like, there is some truth to that. Okay. If you reduce the amount of food coming in, you will be able to lose weight. Um, the problem with that approach though, is what, what happens on shows like the biggest loser. So they get all these people together and these people are, they restrict their calories like crazy. They have them working out like crazy and they lose a ton of weight, right? 93% of the people that uh, participate on that show gain all the weight back. The reason is that when you limit your calories, when you, when you limit your calorie intake for a long period of time, you kind of put your body into starvation mode. So what that means is that it, your metabolism lowers in order to compensate for the lower, the, the, uh, lower energy levels that are coming in. So over time, your body is going to start to slow down and slow down the metabolism to match the energy coming in. Um, so let's say you normally eat a 2,000 calorie diet and you switch to 1,000 calories a day. Well, over time, your body is going to only, you know, um, generate 1,000 calories of energy a day because it, it, it doesn't want you to die. You know, and so it slows down your metabolism to match what's coming in. And so this is a, lot, a big mistake that a lot of people make with, with dieting is they, they um, lower their calorie intake and to the point where they kind of put themselves into that starvation mode. And then they get to a point where their weight loss just stalls out and plateaus. And then and they feel miserable doing this too, by the way. It's like a really terrible place to be because you're hungry all the time, especially if you're eating a high carbohydrate diet, you're gonna be really hangry. You're gonna be like grumpy and hungry. And if you're like super hungry and trying to lose weight, that's a terrible place to be. Another reason why uh, diets don't work is that they're, they're just the whole idea of a diet is very temporary. It's like a, it's like a short-term thing. You know, when you think of like, oh, I'm going on a diet and, and there's this, this like implied idea that you're going to be going off the diet at some point. So I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to are like, yeah, I've gone on and gone off of so many diets, you know? So there's this idea of like, you know, I'm going to suffer for a short period of time to get to my goal weight. And then I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing before. I think this is sort of the mentality that a lot of people get into when they, when they do these diets, okay? Instead of a diet, what we want to do is we want to change our habits. We want to change the way we think about food, the way we feel about food. We, we need to change our whole relationship with food. Um, and we need to go back to just eating like real food, you know? And, and, and doing it in a way that just is natural, is easy, it feels effortless, it's pretty intuitive, you know, you can like track your, your, all your calories in an app every single day, but is that like what you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, I, I think we, as humans, we, we managed for a few million years without like calorie tracking apps and we did pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, and I think we need to sort of go back to that. You know, we need to sort of go back to like a, a very simple way of eating and we've just, food has become just an entertainment you know, it's become like a source of, it. the food that we eat is hyper palatable. You know, the, the food scientists have made it so that it is, 
incredibly delicious and we crave it like crazy and and we find ourselves you know uh with this over desire for food and and there's such an emotional connection to food these days with people when you talk about you know um hey what if you didn't eat, you know, sugar? And, and people start to freak out a little bit because they're like, you can't take away this source of joy in my life, you know? Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons why diets and, and trying to go on a diet just don't really work. Um, and so we need to just take a bit, a bit of a different approach. Yeah. It's, it's why they don't work, but it's also why it's so hard to kind of stick to it because you've got habits, you've got cravings, you've got like, um, addictions. Um, sugar's very addictive. And before we started recording, I mentioned that I had one other diet episode in the podcast feed and it was with, um, a researcher, Nick Fuller, and he is along the same lines as you. His research is around what is the most effective way to lose weight. And he was, um, he's done some studies to show that if you were to lose weight quickly, your body likes to stay in homeostasis. It likes to operate in what it's used to operating in. And as soon as you lose a stack of weight, it, it's a shock that it doesn't like exactly how you were describing. But the more weight you lose in that quick succession, the more your body wants to rebound, the the more your body is fighting back. So you're kind of fighting this biology. You're fighting um, this urge. The body just wants to return back to this homeostasis. And he was talking similar to about like the fat storage. You go into starvation mode, like you said, and you will inevitably put this weight back on if you've lost it so suddenly. But what was interesting is said, once you've regained that weight and you're kind of back to homeostasis, your body's still in shock. And so it still stays in that starvation fat storage mode for a long time because it's been shocked and it wants you to say, let's never do that again. And you end up like doing this yo-yo, but you don't necessarily go back to the weight you were. You actually put on a little bit more than what you had previously. And so it seems to ring true with the advice that you're you're kind of dispelling as well, which I, I really like. I love the the consistency of it. Um, would you agree with a lot of the things that I was just relaying there? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's this. Um, I, I've done a lot of studying of like how our mind works. So one of one of the things that I I'm really passionate about is talking about like how how our brains work and how how uh, how important the mindset is with all this stuff. Because it's one thing to like know what to do. All right, so don't eat sugar, don't eat flour, let's like, don't eat processed foods. I, I think we all get that, right? But then it's like, oh, but I can't do it. It's too hard, or I keep slipping up, or I keep going back to what I was doing before. And um, so a big part of what I do with, with my clients and with, with my coaching group and stuff is like we talk about, about the mindset that's required and and. One of the things that I've found is so fascinating is that um, when people start to lose weight, so let's say, you know, they're, they're at like, you know, 220 pounds or something like that, and they, and they lose like 20 pounds, and they, and they get like to 199, and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing, and they feel so good about themselves, and then they, they just creep right back up to like 201, 202, and they might get, go back down a little bit, then they creep right back up again. And what it is, what's happening is there's this little subtle sort of form of self-sabotage that we do, and it's our brain basically 
saying, listen, this 100-something number, this feels really uncomfortable for us. This is, this is unfamiliar territory. And, and we don't want to be there. We want to stay over here in the 200s where we're comfortable, where it's familiar. This is what we know. This is what we're used to. So our brains are always trying to keep us safe. Our brains are trying to keep us comfortable. Our brains are always seeking the familiar. And, and when we start to push the envelope a little bit and we get into, you know, we start to drop the weight, we start to become a little bit of a different person. People start to talk to us differently. They look at us differently. They make comments like, you look great, you know. And, and people, even though this is all positive, these are all positive changes, it's uncomfortable and, and, and unfamiliar. And so people will sort of self-sabotage. They'll be like, I don't understand why, but I ate a bunch of junk yesterday and, and, and my weight went back up again and I'm back over 200 pounds. And, and I'm like, listen, here's what's going on. And, and we talk about this. We talk about how, you know, it's not just your body wanting to stay in homeostasis. That's part of it. But it's also your brain is just like, dude, this is not what we're used to. <laughs> we want to go back over here where we feel safe and comfortable, you know, wrapped in our layer of fat over here, you know. And so um, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. So when we talk about it, you know, we can have some awareness of it. And once people see this, they're like, yeah, it's exactly what I'm doing. Then we can start to like make some changes and, and some modifications. But yeah, I'm totally, I totally agree with all that. I'm thinking of putting myself in your position and helping people with weight loss. And I, I can, I just go straight to like the mindset, the personality traits, the self-sabotaging, like that just be such a huge part of it because when it comes to like emotional eating and like people addicted to sugar, or like you said, it's sometimes it's joy. It's a lot of joy that they think they're taking away as soon as they give up sugar. That'd be a huge, huge part for someone to, have to turn a corner or have to change something about their lifestyle, have to change a, a huge part and form new habits. It's all about habit formation, which is really tough if someone is like so, if it's so ingrained in someone. And so that's why I love, especially with the podcast I've been listening to, it's all about like, yes, weight loss, yes, about diet, yes, about carbs and all that. But a lot of it is mindset training. A lot of it is mindset education and understanding the importance of it. So it ties in really really well especially if someone wants to see long-term results and when I was going through your content I, there was common mistakes that um, that runners or people who want to lose weight often make and the three that I wrote down were emotional eating uh, having hunger problems and then overeating and I think they're all kind of ingrained I think a mindset has to do a lot of it but let's start with maybe the emotional eating side of things um, how how common do you see when it comes to emotional eating what and what might a runner maybe not necessarily think about when it's actually a big part of their their diets um but it might not be in the forefront of their mind how do you how do you get them around that situation yeah so emotional eating is one of those things that we all do and and people um aren't really aware of it a lot of times but you know um so emotions are just feelings, right? They're, they're feelings we experience in our body, right? So when, when we eat because we're stressed out, that's emotional eating. When we eat because we're bored, that's emotional eating. When we eat because we're angry or um, frustrated or, you know, 
sad. Um, these are all forms of emotional eating, okay? What we do is we experience an emotion and we don't like the way that feels. And so the first thing we do is figure out a way to make that go away. And a lot of us have trained ourselves that if we are feeling an emotion that feels uncomfortable in our body, I don't like to feel this, this frustration or this anger or this fear or this, you know, uh, um, you know, stress. I need to do something to make it go away. Some people choose alcohol. Some people choose cigarettes. Some people choose online shopping. <laughs> um, some people choose food. Uh, and it's, food is probably the most common form of like emotional management tool that people use. And so when you eat some food, especially sugar, this hyperpalatable food, you do feel good. You release some, some dopamine, maybe a little serotonin, you know, you get that sugar buzz going. And then, th then you feel good for a minute. But here's the thing. You feel good for a minute then you feel like crap because you, you know, you ate a bunch of sugar and now you're kind of coming down off that sugar buzz and you actually, you kind of go below your baseline from like a, a blood sugar level and, and your blood sugar sort of drops and then you start to feel really terrible. You haven't dealt with the emotion either. That's the other part. <laughs> so we think we're doing ourselves a favor like, oh, I just want to eat this cake because I, I want to feel good. And so you do, and, and it doesn't really work. You, you feel sort of good for a minute, but then all of a sudden you're like, I still am, am dealing with these emotions, and now I've got like, you know, I've got a cake hangover. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so one of the things that I do with people is we, we remove the, the emotional, we, we remove the emotional eating. We stop doing that. And instead... We deal with the emotions, you know, and that's, that's a whole nother, like, you could do a whole podcast on just talking about how to process emotions and how to, like, just sit there and feel your feelings without eating over them. And, and it's, it's something that we do, you know, together, and um, it's, it's, it's very effective. But the thing is, like, when we start to, when we take away the food and we take away the, the, the thing that we've been using to stuff down our feelings, then we're left with feeling our feelings. And it's not a bad thing. It's, it's okay. We're humans. We have this whole range of emotions we get to experience. It's okay to feel angry sometimes or to feel sad sometimes or to feel stressed out sometimes. It doesn't, you don't have to eat over your feelings. You really don't. We don't have to make your feelings go away either. And I think that's a big misconception. A lot of people think that having a negative emotion is bad. It's not bad. It's just a, it's a, just an emotion that you, you know, it's not as pleasant as like joy. You know? <laughs> so, so that's, a, that's a big part of it. So emotional eating, um, definitely something that it, everybody does. Mm. Uh, everybody does. And then the issue with hunger. So hunger can be a real problem when you're trying to lose weight. And, and a lot of people they're, they just like, like I was saying earlier, you know, they just start restricting calories, but they're hungry. And, and they and they they um, they're miserable, and and weight loss is is a real struggle. This is why most people don't stick with it. They're just like screw this. Like I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to be like so hangry all the time. And so one of the things that's cool though is when you switch to a lower carb approach and you you get off the sugar and you get off the refined um, uh, carbohydrates. 
your hunger levels kind of normalize. And all of a sudden, I get people telling me all the time, they're like, I can't believe it, but I'm, I'm not eating as much as I used to, and I'm not hungry at all. Like, I feel great. It's like that hunger problem is just gone. And, and, and the, the trick is like to just stop eating sugar, and, and that hunger problem sort of goes away. Um, you know, when you're eating a lot of sugar, you're, you're overly hungry all the time. So that's, that's a real, real common issue, you know. Um, and then the overeating. Yeah, overeating is, is a big part of, of why people uh, gain weight. You know, they're, they're just eating too much food. Um, and that was an issue for me, too. And, and um, I, I was eating a lot of carbs and overeating. And, and I would eat these huge, <laughs> this huge amount of food. And um, it was ridiculous how much food I was eating. And, and I was thinking like, hmm, how come I can't lose weight? <laughs> and I was just like shoving all this food in me. But it sort of like ties into all these things we're talking about here. I was doing a lot of emotional eating. I was, I was hungry all the time. I, I could never get enough food, you know, and I was using food to like feel better. Um, and, and, and the types of food I was using was the kind of food that just exacerbated the problem. It just like kept me in this loop of being hungry, never being full, and, and always feeling like I needed more. Um, so super common um, issues that people deal with, and, and um, some of the keys to, to losing weight is to deal with these things. You've got to stop the overeating. You cannot be hungry when you're, when you're trying to lose weight. Like you have to be eating enough food to where you're not hungry but not overeating. There's a fine line there. And then we got to deal with the emotions and stop the emotional eating. I could definitely put my hand up when it comes to emotional eating on the board side of things. I like say sometimes <laughs> working from home, like the kitchen's just there and I'll find myself like in between clients or in between like podcast interviews, just wandering the house and there's the kitchen and I open up the pantry and there's a, a, like some things there. And I'm like, I'm not even hungry, but I'm taking this trip and this journey to the kitchen several times a day. And I'm, I, I tell myself as well, because I think when you're talking about dealing with the emotional side of things, a lot of it is just recognition of like why you're heading there. And I think a lot of it is mindfulness and processing that emotion. I know I'm bored. I know I'm there and I'm eating because I'm bored. Um, so maybe I have to, you know, come up with my own sort of strategies. Um, one thing that you're talking about when it comes to hunger problems was when I started intermittent fasting, like I do it a couple of times a week. One thing I noticed was I was never hungry because I told myself I'm not going to eat until say midday or like I gave myself a certain time, no eating, just water. And I realized that because I wasn't expecting food, I wasn't hungry. But as soon as I would get to, no matter how long of a fasting duration it would be when it'd get to like maybe half an hour or 20 minutes um, until I would break that fast is when I started getting hungry. And it got me thinking of when I'm, when am I the most hungry? Well, I'm the most hungry when I've ordered food, like if I'm at a restaurant or if I've ordered like takeaway and it's on its way to my house or it's about to be delivered. It's like you're expecting the food. Um, that's when you're the most hungry. But if I'm not expecting it, I say, I've got another six hours until I need to eat there's, there's none of that urge. There's none of that like temptation. There's none of that expectation. Is, is that something that, um, is that a common kind of behavior or common sort of, um, experience that you, you've, um, come across? 
Yeah, for sure. So I, I call this like the hunger match and, and, and um, your hunger will kind of match the times of day that you usually eat. And so, you know, a lot of these people are into this idea of like, you need to eat like six times a day. So, so, and these people are hungry all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, when you change, like, let's say, so I, I, I switched from eating like, you know, three meals a day plus th two snacks plus dessert. I, I changed my diet to eating like twice a day. I eat like a lunch and I eat dinner. And, and when I did that, it took a, a few weeks, but all of a sudden I wasn't hungry for that breakfast meal and I wasn't hungry for that snack at, at midday. And I was hungry around the times that I normally eat. And so now it's just, I don't even think about it anymore. Like I, I'll be working and I'll be doing my thing and I'll be like, oh, I'm starting to get a little hungry and I'll look at the clock and it'll be like noon, like exactly the time that I normally would eat. So it's, you know, your body is just pretty intuitive with that. And so we kind of get into this, this rhythm, this kind of biological rhythm of like, you will be hungry around the times that you typically eat. So if you're willing to, you know, um, if, if intermittent fasting is something that you're interested in and you're willing to like, you know, go through a couple of weeks where you might be a little bit more hungry in the morning, let's say you're going to skip breakfast over time, you're going to like, just, that's not going to be an issue for you anymore. But you will be hungry around the times that you typically do eat. So it, that's a real thing. And it's, it's kind of cool that we can sort of like train ourselves to, to deal with the hunger that way. Okay, I hate to leave you hanging, but this is the end of part one. As we delve into part two, I want to explore um, with Patrick the misconceptions around fats, sugars, oil. He also has on his podcast these five habits that runners must have if they want to lose weight. And so we delve into those briefly, but then most of the uh, most of the episode is answering the patron questions. So all you patrons that have submitted the questions, it was a very popular topic, so a lot of questions were submitted and we delve into all of those. So tune in next episode and let's delve into part two. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path. <laughs>